Welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. I'm Sam Basil alongside Daniel Frank and Kaylee Godek. And we are just days away from the start of the Atlantic 10 Women's Basketball Championship 2023. And, you know, while I think, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of seating tonight, we're going to be talking about a lot of, you know, standings, probabilities. This bracket is not set it's not firm but it's 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 getting there and this weekend has so many you know implications there's so many places for some teams to go and i think we are shaping up to have a really really interesting tournament picture um but first i mean how are you two doing tonight i'm doing like pretty good um really happy right now um western new england men's basketball just like our minutes off of coming off of a big win to go into the conference championships on Saturday. So I am kind of in and out with my voice. So if you just hear me just like start coughing or if I just stop talking or my voice just goes, we're going to go with it. Yeah. Lots of excitement in every division of college basketball, including D3. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what, you know, the late, late February and March obviously is all about. Daniel, how are you doing tonight? Doing good tonight. Happy to be here. Happy for a fabulous week, final week of, of A10 women's basketball hoops and, and proud of my George Mason Patriots, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Yeah. So we're definitely going to be talking, you know, we're going to be talking standings. We're going to be talking seating possibilities. But first off, I wanted to talk about, uh, just, just, probably the most baller play we might see out of the conference this entire year. Um, and that's from Anna DeWolf last night. So Wednesday night against uh, URI, a huge game for Rody because, you know, they're obviously tied right now with UMass with one game left to play uh, for the top of the conference right now, both at 13 and two heading into this game. Rody was at 13 and one and a win against Fordham would have given them a huge game advantage over, over the minute women, but Anna DeWolf had other plans in overtime with less than five seconds left. She took it coast to coast, stopped, stuttered, spun, lunged it up for the 74-73 win. Not only was that did that just send a shockwave through the Atlantic 10, but I mean, it was Scott Van Pelt's first thing he loved of the night. It was the number one play on the Sports Center top 10. And I mean, I've probably watched it like a couple times today. <laughs> when it comes down to when it comes down to amazing shots, right, and amazing buzzer beaters, there are a lot of different aspects that can make many different buzzer beaters really special, right? Fighting through a defender, going coast to coast, getting it at the buzzer. This Anna DeWolf shot literally did everything. I mean, the the were, were either of you able to watch this one live? I was simultaneously watching UMass, St. Louis, and I, as soon as I was seeing like the tweets about like this game, like I, I tuned in, then I like shut it off because they, Fordham started losing. And then I turned it back on, like literally in the last like 30 seconds, and I got to see it. And oh my gosh, I started screaming. Uh, my neighbors did not question why I was screaming. I think my neighbors just know I am really into basketball. And at this point, like, just deal with it. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but that game was insane. Thank you, Fordham. I love you for this. Thank you. Um, especially since UMass did not get the win they wanted last night. Um, and that game was oh so close, just like this Fordham Rhode Island one. Um Fordham definitely made my night last night after the unfortunate UMass loss. And I think that's going to be probably in my mind a lot besides obviously Western New England, but honestly, like a 10 basketball is right up there with like any other basketball game. Daniel, what'd you think of that shot? Yeah, I didn't see it live. I was actually in the George Mason press conference when the shot went in. Uh, so I missed it, but I, I make it a habit when I'm, whenever I'm doing a game as media, I have like a tab of like A10 scores constantly running. And like, I had my eye on the game the whole way. I was like, Fordham's up 10, Fordham's up 10. I was like poking Natalie who's sitting next to me. She's a great reporter from the next. Uh, and I'm poking her like, Oh my God, Fordham's up 10. And then Rody like outscores Fordham by like, 
15 points in the fourth quarter. It somehow gets to overtime in the span of Mason trying to like cause me heart palpitations. And then we get out at the end of the press conference. And I'm like, Natalie, Fordham won. And she's like, what? And so I didn't, I didn't initially know that it was a buzzer beater until I get to my car and I check Twitter and I see the video and I just watch it in full. I'm like, my mind explodes. Cause I, I was like, I, I wasn't overly shocked that Fordham won, but the way that the game played out and for it to come down to that kind of shot was just, that's a hell of a win for Fordham. Yeah, that was, it was awesome. And it sets up a pretty awesome, you know, final weekend of A10 women's hoops. So let's kind of go down the line here. UMass and Rhodey are locked into the one and two spots. They're not locked into either of those spots, but no one else in the conference can, can catch up to them. They're both 13 and two. And so, you know, uh, you know, a win from the other and a loss, a win from one and a loss to the other is going to, you know, determine the one seed. Daniel, I know you've, you're kind of, you've kind of been the maestro of, of, you know, seeding and, and, and tiebreakers and everything. What is the situation for which Rhodey can secure the one seed? Because remember, these two teams split the regular season series. So what is the situation in which Rhodey can secure the one seed? And what's the situation in which UMass can secure the one seed? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, up until last night, we were in a very, very serious chance of just having a straight up coin toss. Because the weird way it worked is because their only losses up until last night were to each other. If they finished tied overall, they would have just been a straight coin toss because you couldn't break the tie. Because they now have losses to teams other than each other, we're back to a little bit more of conventional tie-breaking. I'm going to give Nathan Strauss, another friend of, of A10 Talk, a hat tip here because um, he basically was my sounding board bunch of the week as well as um, Jacob Munch from uh, UMass Twitter. Um the three of us collectively were just bouncing off each other the whole week trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. Um, so basically, long story short, UMass, as you said, the easy math is UMass wins, Rhodey loses, vice versa, A-10 champs outright. They both win, they share the co-championship. They both lose, they share the co-championship. UMass can get the one seed if... Are you you trying to read Nathan's tweet? I am, and I'm trying to make sense of this because he said this is makes sense and it doesn't. Yeah, I I kind of get what he's saying a little bit. Jump in, Kaylee, save me. um, So yeah, so as Nathan was saying, if UMass wins and Rhodey loses, or if Rhodey wins and UMass loses, like they're outright champs, as he was saying. So if a UMass, if both teams win and a Fordham win happens. UMass and Rhode Island are co-champions, but then UMass is the number one seed via a tiebreaker. But if Fordham loses and St. Louis wins, UMass and Rhode Island are co-champions, and URI is the number one seed via the tiebreaker. If Fordham loses, St. Louis loses, and St. Joe's loses, um, UMass and Rhode Island are co-champions, and UMass is the number one seed via a tiebreaker. Ultimate chaos right here. Um, Fordham loses, St. Louis loses, and St. Joe's win. UMass and Rhode Island are co-champions, and the number one seed is decided by a coin flip, which is very unlikely since UMass and this is a highly unlikely scenario. UMass and Rhode Island both go four and one against Fordham, St. Joe's, St. Louis, and George Washington, who finish in a four-way tie for third place in this scenario, all at nine and seven, as they went undefeated against the rest of the league, and there's no other tiebreaker than a coin flip. If UMass and Rhodey both lose, and Fordham and St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, or Fordham wins and St. Louis loses, UMass and Rhode Island are co-champions, and UMass is the number one seed via a tiebreaker. If Fordham loses and St. Louis wins, or both Fordham and St. Louis lose, or if Fordham and St. Louis both win, UMass and Rhode Island are co-champions, and your your eyes is number one seed via a tiebreaker. I am so- staring at the same tweet that you are, and none of that registers at all none of it makes sense i the chaos is great it's great there's times where i love i think i was able to glean the gist of 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 their methodology here the specifics are still a little bit that's a lot that's a lot of different results producing it's it's a lot of different situations producing like a max of two to three results so 
basically what they're doing is if they both win or they both lose, since they've split the regular season series, they're going to go down like like you've mentioned a lot, Daniel, on the men's side, which they're going against the better performance against the next best conference opponent. Correct. So the the situation there becomes does that next conference opponent become SLU? Does it become Fordham? Or does it become St. Joe's? And all of that is going to determine the one or two. Or GW or Richmond. Or G. Wow. So if you. I didn't even know the Richmond one. And I don't think Richmond can factor into the the number one equation, but GW has a chance to finish in third and they have a chance to finish in seventh place still with literally one game left on the docket. And that's against UMass. I would like to just point that out. I mean, like top to bottom here, the amount of like we have one seed determined. With and that's literally 15. one day left of the season to go. And that's exactly loyal at 15. Nothing else is determined yet. Everything it's else so- is still way up in the air. But I would say probably Bonaventure may be locked in too at 14. They're or am not I wrong on that. Because they have the tiebreaker over VCU. So if St. Bonaventure beats Richmond and VCU loses to LaSalle, Bona gets to be 13. Oh my gosh. Wow. There's, and George Mason, chaos. I'm going to go off on my tangent now. George Mason <laughs> is not going to be in the pillow fight because they have tiebreakers over St. Joe's and Duquesne who play each other. One has to lose. So Mason will finish either eighth or ninth unless LaSalle also loses to VCU, in which case Mason could get as high as seventh place. But regardless, George Mason, two years removed from a winless a10 conference season is not going to be 10th or worse. And before you get into that tangent, I do want to talk about Mason because they're kind of an interesting fit into this Saturday final. You know, they're 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 an interesting piece into this final puzzle that mm-hmm. we're seeing on Saturday where 14 out of the 15 A10 teams are all tipping off except for Mason whose season whose regular season is done. But before we get into that, let's just keep going with this with this kind of top dog situation here. Um I doubt this is going to happen, but a coin flip would be really funny cuz if either of you are FCS FCS football fans. That's what it was. I knew uh, there had been one. Yeah, the Ohio Valley Conference this year did determine their representative via in the FCS playoffs via a coin toss which was wild but the the other question too is since they so this is all this is determining is a number one seed if they both tie while they might not well while they both can't get the same seed in the a10 tournament what you're saying is they both can hang a regular season women's basketball championship banner right they will be co-champions Correct. Yeah, there's been a number of cases in the past where you've had co-champions. And honestly, I know Coach Verdi from like the start of the season has been saying our goal for this season is a regular season championship. And he he keeps talking about it and keeps harping on it. And honestly, this is like the best team to be in UMass ever. Um, I'm going to go off on a little bit here, but UMass has their final home game of the season on Saturday. And it's the final home game ever for both Sam Breen and Destiny Philoxy. And I want to point out that Sam Breen just surpassed Sue Peters yesterday for career, like most career points scored. That is not, I repeat, not UMass points. Sam will get that this season. She will, she will become the all time UMass point leading score, um, per what Jacob was saying, they don't, Sam and her family don't consider those 44 points from Penn State really to be a part of her career anymore just because of how well she's been. And um, I believe I saw it was 23 points. Jacob put it out, Jacob Munch put it out on Twitter and I am blanking on what it was. Um, I want to say it's like 23 points to like surpass um, 22 to tie. So if Sam uh, Sam can pull this off, she will be able to. Yeah, it's. I'm looking at the tweet now. 22 points to tie Sue Peters, 23 to break the program record for most points in a UMass jersey. 
Um, coach Verdi is also one win away from 200 wins as a head coach. So if both of these can happen on the same day, I think we will be looking at a really like historic day in the Mullen Center and in Amherst. And honestly, I want to be up there for this historic moment. But with how Western New England did tonight, I am going to be going and watching the championship game for the conference because I can't let my team down at this point. And they're just like UMass has done phenomenal this season. I've gotten to watch every game all season, whether it's in my room here screaming at my TV or if it's live on press row, I've gotten to watch every single game. And this men and woman team have the potential to get to NCAA tourneys and NCAA tourney and beyond like the first round, I believe this season. And, and honestly with Sam and destiny, like that with this being their last season, this is going to be a really, really good game to go and watch. So any UMass fans out there, we want, we want those seats filled. Five college movers is willing to pay for your tickets. Call the UMass box office and talk, like ask for Warren Hayden, Warren Hayden and then tell them that you're with, you're calling about the women's basketball tickets and mention five college movers. You will get your ticket paid for. Professors up at UMass are offering extra credit for their students to go and watch this game. They want this building packed. Let's give them the biggest atmosphere all season outside of field trip day. They had over 2,000 fans there last Sunday, and I was able to be there for that game. So UMass fans, let's pack this Mullen Center one last time this season for the Minute Woman. They deserve it. Give them the give them this opportunity. I would totally be there sitting either courtside or on press row with all of my other like friends that are on press row. But unfortunately my duty calls with Western New England bat- men's basketball and going and watching them fight for a chance to be conference champions. Wow. I mean, honestly, even without the extra credit and the, and the chance for a, a free ticket from five college rivers, uh, which we are not sponsored by the way, that, that, that was, that was <laughs> totally natural. But if they want um, to sponsor us. Yeah. If you want to, years. that'd be great. Uh, I mean, we just, I mean, KG just gave you that, that great tee up there. I mean, th- what you're saying is this could be one of the most important games in, in, in UMass women's basketball history. I mean, people are going to be talking about this for a long time. So if they can clinch that, if they can clinch that, they'll get the number one seed, obviously. But my question that, you know, I guess, I guess it's one of those things, right? Where if, if they're, if they're co-conference champs, I mean, I'm sure they'd probably just both get in, but say they hang the co-conference champs banner. And neither of them win the tournament outright. So they don't get that at-large bid. Right now, the A-10 is... I'm sorry, they don't get that auto bid. Right now, the A-10 on the women's side, like on the men's side, is 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 probably going to be a one-bid league this year. In the women's NIT, I, I, I did double-check this because I know the women's NIT, I don't think, is operated by the NCAA. It's, it's operated by... I don't by, think so. It's independent, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's independent, but they do follow similar rules to the men's NIT in that every conference regular season champion who does not get an automatic berth in the tournament, the, the NCAA tournament, gets an automatic spot in the NIT. And that goes for the WNIT as well. What do you think I, would happen for the WNIT? You think they just let them both in? Or do you think there'd be a coin there? There Then we'd bring out the coins? Well, I'll tell you, it's so the the important thing to know about the WNIT is it's not 32 teams. It's a no, whole nother 64 team bracket. Yeah. Um, and throwing out automatic which is qualifiers crazy. Alone, That's awesome. Which is awesome. Throwing out the automatic qualifiers, Rhode Island, UMass, GW, Fordham, possibly SLU, possibly St. Joe's all have legitimate cases that they could get in on their own merit as, as it stands. Uh, the A-10 usually gets in three to four teams a year in the WNIT. Um, and finishing with a double bye is usually enough to get you there. So I think regardless of anything else, Rhodey and UMass are both in the WNIT worst case scenario. Yeah, and I just pulled up um, ESPN's bracketology. Um, Rhode Island currently sits third on the next four out list. Um, I know this is probably going to update some. I'm trying to find UMass quickly on this list um, to kind of see. I know they're probably up yep, their automatic qualifier. Um, 
in the 12 seed against North Carolina right now is the five seed in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan. I want, I don't want it in Michigan. I want it as close as possible as we can get it. So in that way I can be able like, we can have a whole bunch of UMass fans there. Cause I know there's so many UMass fans. I want to go to this. If UMass can make it back to NCAA. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, if, if you're hoping for UMass to be as close as possible like in the in the first and second round, I mean, I think your best bet. And, and again, I mean, this is probably the least controllable thing in 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 all of bracketology, right? Like once I think their main focus, right, is is just getting there. But if we're just looking at it, I mean, their best shot would be Villanova because Villanova is hosting a regional in in could or you know could host one in 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 Philly. Um, Stars. But yeah, that where where. Stores, Connecticut, UConn. True. Oh. True, but that's not likely to happen. It's not likely, not an eight or nine, yeah, Or no. seven or a ten. That would well, be crazy. No, no, yeah, no, no. It's um for the store section, I believe it's one, sixteen, eight, or nine. I, they're not yeah. going to go as low as a nine, a sixteen. If they go yeah. low as a sixteen and play UConn, I am going to that game and I am going to literally just lose my mind because that's probably one of the best games to probably watch in New England. Um, right there, but I mean, just looking at it now, I think with if you look at the overall strength of schedule for UMass, UMass and UMass, this is a whole bunch of ifs here. If UMass can make it into either the finals or semifinals, UMass probably has a good chance of an at-large seed. It just depends on who really who they lose to and if they like win, like if they can make it back to championships and they lose to like a Rhode Island or a St. Joe's or St. Louis or Fordham, basically any of the top four teams, I think like in that championship, I think they could get a, like a seed. It's just, they may have to do a play in for it. Um, With that being said, kind of looking back at last year's um, game championship game, Dayton and UMass, UMass was the three seed. Dayton was the one seed. Dayton lost in the championship. UMass won. Dayton was able to get a play-in game into the NCAA tournament as an at-large bid because of their schedule. UMass played a really good schedule. Played three Power Five teams. Won one of those one one of those three games. Came up very very short in both of those other two games. They could have beaten Missouri. It's just they literally played the day before. They weren't like really fully rested. But UMass like. Their schedule probably will say, "Hey, like, let us in." Our only like our bad. We never really had a bad loss. I wouldn't even call the St. Louis one really bad because St. Louis was on a hot streak, kind of. Maybe that one would be the one that would kind of put the nail in the coffin to an at-large bid. But UMass definitely has a chance at this. Um, and I wish if tiebreakers for conference play were allowed to go out of conference, UMass would have that number one seed outright because UMass and Rhode Island both played Harvard. UMass beat Harvard. Rhode Island lost to Harvard. So mm-hmm. you could look at it that way too, but unfortunately they're not going to include that because it's out of conference. And when the UMass Rhode Island game was happening, they were calling that one being the tiebreaker when it was not the tiebreaker. It's, that could not be a tiebreaker at all because it's not in conference, unfortunately. But you could look at it that way as Rhode Island has that loss to Harvard. They lost to Wake Forest. They lost Florida, UMass, and Princeton. So those are their five losses, UMass, St. Louis, Rhode Island, Columbia, um, Missouri, and Tennessee. But all both of the, all those losses aren't bad. And plus, those are like big power conference teams. I mean – Princeton's going to be back in the tournament. Columbia is going to be fighting to be back in that tournament or getting into the tournament. So ideally like power five teams, like with them being close games, I think you'll probably see an at large bid happen maybe with UMass, but probably not with Rhode Island. Yeah, that that'll be tough. Cause I mean, if, if Rhode Island, if Rhode Island's in the first four out, like we're seeing right now with, with the current projections from ESPN, I mean, They'll they'll probably need to or sorry they're in the next four out so they'll they'll probably just need to go all the way through and win and then UMass will kind of pull what we see a lot on the men's side where the best overall team going in just has to lose in the championship game and they'll probably sneak an out large bid Daniel right. you got something 
I'm unfortunately going to have to disagree with Kaylee on this one. Okay. I think the St. Louis loss is inexcusable from a net standpoint. Right. We all know the selection committee has a massive bias against mid-majors. St. Louis's net is 150, Mm -hmm. which is a quad two loss, if my math is correct. But the problem with the UMass's record is they just don't have metrically that many great wins. I don't believe UMass has a single quad one win. If they do, they only have like one or two. And it would probably be like Arizona State. That would probably be the only quad one. Yeah. I mean, the problem, like, I, my heart fully agrees with you. There is a very real world where Rhode Island and UMass both get in and they both could win a game in the tournament. The problem I fear is now they both, by losing on Wednesday, shot themselves completely out of the picture. I think even if they both make the A-10 championship game, only one could get in at this point. I mean, look, UMass is 60th in the net and Rhode Island is 71. So UMass has a little bit of a better chance. They're, they only dropped about 10 spots in the net by losing to St. Louis, but UMass cannot afford a loss to anyone other than Rhode Island in the tournament. UMass's margin for error is so razor thin at this point. They need a very, very, very convincing win over GW, a very hungry GW team, mind you, that is playing A for a double by B because they had a very embarrassing loss to Davidson and C to try to stay just out of seventh, which is a possibility all of a sudden. And I fear that unless I fear that there's really not a great scenario here left. And I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but I know you don't mean to be like that. Realistically speaking, though, I think Wednesday might've just killed it. The at-large hopes. Yeah. All right. So Daniel, you mentioned, you know, obviously we were, we're talking about the implications of roadies game of, 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 these games from a roadie standpoint and a UMass standpoint, but UMass's game against GW, like you just said, GW, they're not fighting for, you know, a, a conference co-championship in the regular season. They're fighting for a bye. There are other teams that are fighting for a bye, a double bye. So starting off with you, Daniel, if you two can go look down the roster, not, not the roster, the Saturday slate, and just tell me, you know, one or two games that you think are really important for either, Seating conversation, you know, pampering up a resume for for an NI, a WNIT bid, anything aside from UMass uh, or or Rhode Island. What are you going to be watching? What 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 do you got queued up on your TV on your multi screen? Or you know what do you, what do you what do you what score are you refreshing from press row? So I'm gonna say not Rhode Island and not UMass just because those are the obvious ones, right? We're all looking at those from looking at the other 14 teams that are going to be, or the other 12 teams that are going to be playing. I'm looking at GW because what'd you say? 10 teams. Cause you uh, got two games. Well, sorry for cutting in there. So no, so I'm, I'm taking, this doesn't make sense. Probably it makes sense in my head to roll with me. I'm not looking at Rhode Island. I'm not looking at UMass, but I'm looking at who they're playing. If that makes sense. Yes. For GW's okay. sake, for GW's sake, a win at UMass would be a quad one win and arguably GW's best win of the season. That could be the difference between them getting into the WNIT and them not getting into the WNIT. So for that matter, I'll be watching that one. The implications of Duquesne and St. Joe's are fascinating because the loser almost assuredly will be facing George Mason. Because even though George Mason's in 10th right now, George Mason cannot finish worse than ninth. Because St. Joe's and Duquesne are tied at 8 and 7. LaSalle is 7 and 7. Because of all the funkiness with teams missing games on the woman's side. Mm. Um, so of, of, of the games I'm keeping an eye on, I'm looking at GW to see what they can do. And I'm looking at that St. Joe's Duquesne game, especially as a Mason fan, keep an eye on how that's going to impact George Mason. Mm. Say, say, uh, let me let me let me let me double check this before I before I say it. So LaSalle, right, they're they're seven and seven because one of their games against Davidson. And Davidson, the best they can finish right now is also seven and seven because yeah. they had a game against each other that got canceled. Davidson so, lost two. So Davidson and 
Davidson and Richmond both lost out on two games. LaSalle and Dayton lost out on one game due right. to COVID. Gotcha. So say Duquesne finishes eight and eight, right? They lose mm-hmm. to St. Joe's. And then LaSalle beats VCU and LaSalle is eight and seven. Obviously, that's not going to. So, okay, that... so that could give LaSalle a bye with a different amount of games played. Are we going to see like kind of yes. like a Bills, Chiefs, Bengals situation going on here? <laughs> Do they have anything so... in place to, to counter out, to balance that out? So basically what the Atlantic 10 has done for the last two seasons, since they did away with the, if you can't play a COVID game, you'll, you'll forfeit it. And they just don't count anymore. Teams that missed out and played an uneven number of games are treated or seated by their overall, not their, sorry, by their conference win percentage. So LaSalle will be treated based on their win percentage. Um, which is part of the reason the math and all the typewriters have been so annoying on the women's side is it can't just be simple math of, Wins and losses, you're dealing with with advanced metrics like win percentage, which are too far above Daniel's brain capacity. But um, the thing that George Mason has going for them is they have tiebreakers over Duquesne and St. Joe's. They don't have a tiebreaker over LaSalle, but that won't end up mattering because of where the win percentages would fall. But yeah, it is. It's a very weird scenario. Yeah. yeah. I mean, win percentages aren't aren't the craziest thing. I mean, that's how like the four... Like, oh, not the NHL, but, you know, that's how MLB, the NBA, the NFL figure it out. Yeah. And it really is. It really is just, you know, win, it really is just wins and losses. Um, But I, I feel like it, it kind of stirs up some controversy when you're only – people don't like it when – people don't like it when you can finish a season half a game behind somebody because everyone always says that that half a game difference – is kind of the result of, of something that, that could be considered unfair. But do you feel like there's any unfairness here, or do you, or do you think it's it, it'll just kind of work out the way? I don't works? know. I mean, on the one hand, you have to you can only win the games in front of you. So from the team's own perspective, you know, it's not their fault. But it's of a course. weird situation where, like, if you're looking at standings as of today, Thursday night, George Mason is sandwiched between two teams that didn't play the same number of games as them. And George Mason... You know, they don't have a tiebreaker over LaSalle, so it's kind of a moot point anyway. But, like, situation like Davidson is going to get punished because even if Davidson beats – um, who's Davidson's place? Even if Davidson Fordham. beats Fordham, then the best they can finish is 7-7, seven seven, which would tie them with Mason. But because they played two less games and they don't have the tiebreaker against Mason, they're treated the same, and they finish below Mason, which sucks for Davidson because – they missed out on two games and they just beat GW and are on a you know a good stretch right now, but you know, it hurts now. I mean, it's not fair for anybody, basically, at the end of the day. I mean, it sucks for the teams that don't get the opportunity to 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 win extra games, and it sucks for the teams that did have to play those extra games because there's always a risk of losing when you play the extra games. So it's it's just an imperfect situation that the A ten men got very lucky they didn't have to deal with this season. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Kaylee, what are you watching this weekend? Uh, Western with men's basketball. We're going to start <laughs> off with that. Um, unfortunately, right now with timing for the game that I've heard of, it's going to be at two. Mm-hmm. So that's basically right in smack of the game with the in Rhode Island, Fordham and Davidson. Um, basically, both of those are going to be hitting halftime as I'm starting my Western England watch. And then I have like, there's so many games that like I I need to follow for this just because of tiebreakers and everything. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have to follow Rhode Island and Davidson. And, oh, my Rhode Island and Dayton. I am sorry. And then I'm going to have to follow the Fordham Davidson game as well, just because of tiebreakers that are in play along with the St. Louis, Loyal Chicago and Duquesne and St. Joe's. So and obviously my UMass one, but I'm putting UMass aside along with the Rhode Island one. Like really the main games that are important for this like whole like number one seed and regular season title comes down to three games that aren't really involving UMass and Rhode Island, unfortunately. Although technically five if you do you do have to technically include those, but really the main three that will really secure the regular season title for either UMass or Rhode Island or co-champs 
are Fordham against Davidson at Davidson, St. Louis against Loyola Chicago at Loyola Chicago, and then Duquesne versus St. Joe's and I'll be at St. Joe's. So basically those three games right there are going to be huge games because of tiebreakers and just because it'll really cause a whole bunch of havoc for the number one seed and just cause chaos for my brain, Daniel's brain, basically anyone who really like writes and covers for women's sport, women's basketball and is in the women's basketball headquarters. Cause I swear there was so much chaos last night that I think I lost my mind. Yeah, Sam, you want to name this uh, the title of this episode, The Horse and the Sleep Deprived, because that's what we are tonight. <laughs> we're horse and we're sleep deprived. Yes. All right. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, don't you kind of just love when, 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 you're, when your brain's a little bit broken? Because then you can just kind of shut it off and then just hope that your team wins. <laughs> right. You can't, shut it, you can't shut it off when you have exams. that's been the one death of me is I have exams and tomorrow I have an 8 a.m. exam and I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, It's grad life. That's grad life. That's kicking in for me. So I can't relate. Um, There is one team that is not going to be on that slate. And I, I, I said to Daniel a couple of minutes ago that I was going to, I was going to give you your pedestal. Uh, And that's George Mason. They've finished out their conference slate. They're done with the regular season. Eight and eight. Still got plenty of time to, you know, go through the tournament. You know, we'll see, we'll see what the future holds for them. But I think up to this point, Daniel, you're ready to say that this has been a pretty successful season for the Patriots on the women's side. So could you kind of uh, the floor is yours? What what worked with George Mason this year? All right. I want to start out by giving you a set of of, of of six numbers here, six records. In 2021 season, George Mason went three and 19, 0 and 14 in the Atlantic 10 with, and then a 15th loss to GW in the A-10 tournament. In 2022, Vanessa Blair Lewis's first season, George Mason went 10 and 19, three and 12 in the Atlantic 10. In 2023, George Mason went 15 and 14, eight and eight in the Atlantic 10. George Mason has just posted their first overall winning season since 2019 and their best tying their, their second best conference wins total since joining the Atlantic 10 conference. The only year better than this one at tied with the 2019 season was as all Mason fans call it, the Natalie Butler season of 2018 when Mason was basically dragged to a fifth place finish by a literal Yukon transfer. So counting that as the outlier of the data set here, George Mason has gone in a literal three-year span from a team that did not win a conference game to a team that is not only out of the double buy picture altogether, but is like mathematically two games removed basically from a double buy, which Mason's not going to make a double buy because there's no season left. But like, Saying that to two years ago, Daniel, who sat through 14 losses in the Atlantic 10 like conference play, I went through every single game. I went to every single game that was at Eagle Bank in the middle of the worst of COVID because it was my only excuse to leave the house to where they are now. And I asked, I asked Jasmine Doster about this. She's a fabulous senior. She's been at Mason. She's been through all of the crap that Mason's gone through for her to end her collegiate playing career with back-to-back wins over two of the top four teams in the Atlantic 10 with a road win at Fordham and then a home win against St. Joe's. I mean, like, this is so, like, I don't think people understand how big this is for Mason. Like, we're talking about a program that has never made the NCAA tournament and what Vanessa Blair Lewis has done in a literal two-year stretch has taken this team from an unwatchable team to a team that is potentially contending for A-10 titles in the next two years based on their trajectory. And it is so fun, so exciting to watch. It's such a good group of people, and I am just so proud of them. Shout out to Mason Nation. All the love and support for this amazing team. Proud of them. Thank you for the floor. 
I mean, what is that? First of all, like, <laughs> that was great. That that could have been like a that could have been like a feature piece, like a TV feature piece. But <laughs> to me, listening to that, how do you how do you describe that if not just as the beauty of A10 basketball, right? Or just the beauty of mid-major basketball. No yeah. matter what, look, the the A10, I think, in in many seasons has been a year of of haves and have nots. Um, I feel like on the men's side this year, it is definitely not one of those years. And on the women's side, we're it we're we're seeing that it's slowly not becoming that. Yes, we've got these two juggernauts at the top, but we're able to follow these awesome storylines. And that's that's the beauty of mid-major basketball, right? It's not contending for a national championship every year. It's just finding a reason to get better, have hope for the next season, and just building a legacy, building a history like George Mason is trying to do right now. So that's that's awesome. And so, you know, we've got we've got a couple more days until well, we've got another day of games on the women's basketball side on Saturday, and then they then they tip off for round one on March first in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, that's a pretty awesome arena. I always, I, I haven't. I've it's never a great been down venue. There. Great venue. It's so cool. It kind of reminds me actually of like, I mean, I have I haven't been there. I've only seen like photos and videos of it. But like, would you compare it to like kind of like Duquesne's like most recent like re- recently renovated arena? I just feel like I'm like hard to like say. This... I haven't been to Duquesne. I was I was at. Uh, Chase Fieldhouse last year for the first round of the A10 tournament. Yeah. I have been to UPMC, but it's, I mean, it's just a great, the sight lines are really good. The light's really fun. It sucks to be a photographer there because the light kind of jacks it up. But I, I'm a sucker for natural light in arenas. I grew up with the Smith Center with the natural light there. Like, it's just a fun venue. The sound's really great. No, that's literally what I was going to say. Like, that glass facade on the side. Yeah. Like, I mean, you you kind of get that in Rose Hill Gym, but I feel like you get that more at, like, you know, some of the more other, like, really, like, older gyms, like, around the country, but, again, really Yeah, like, cool. Harvard's famous for their glass roof, and yeah. Yeah, so, let's talk, let's, let's move through, let's, let's get into the men's side a little bit. We've still got a, you know, about a week and a half before uh, the conference tournament in Brooklyn kicks off, uh, so there's still a lot of different possibilities for seeding a lot of really important games, but I think let's just let's just keep it simple on the med side. Uh, any big games that you two are going to be watching this weekend? I mean, Friday ten. Is this the second Richmond VCU Friday yeah. ten of the year? That's pretty it cool. I, I I like. I'm sure that happens a lot, but I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. But and as long as we're talking about Richmond, real quick, yeah. all of us at Day Ten Talk, we just want to send all the best to Chris Mooney. The whole story is just heartbreaking and just sending all of our love to Chris Mooney and his family right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've talked about it on the on the podcast before. I mean, Mooney is a cornerstone of this conference, you know, of, of the past, you know, decade plus, almost 20 years now. And I feel like there really isn't the A-10 we love without a coach like Chris Mooney. So, yeah, I mean, to echo your sentiments, like wish, wishing the best. I also echo it too, um, especially for the fact of like just seeing like the whole news story and like kind of seeing it go that way with a relative and just like knowing that kind of deal. Like I would definitely like send my prayers and my hopes to the best for you and your recovery, Chris Mooney. Um, You will definitely be missed in that conference tournament when it comes down to that and you need the time to recover. Like don't ru- like don't rush back just because you want to be there for basketball. Your health comes first. Yeah. And then and, and look, I think Richmond, no matter what, is 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 still teed up for a really good run. I think I think there's so many teams that are teed up for a good run. I mean, if I may, shout out to Fordham Rams. You know, have for your my, moment, you know, my... Sam. You're 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 like a game away from clinching a double bye. Have your moment. Yeah, a game away from clinching a double bye. A game away, a win against Rhode Island, or you know, a win in any of their last three games gives Fordham actually their best Atlantic Ten win total ever. They they tied wow. it on Wednesday night against Loyola Chicago. Their this is their second double digit win season. Uh, since 0607 and they won exactly 10 games that year. So if they if they win their 11th, especially on the day where they're honoring, you know, uh, you know, a lot of implications for this game, you know, just like the UMass women's game that that KG detailed, um 
the same day they're honoring the the 70 71 Fordham team which which you know is arguably the best Fordham team in the history of the program so for them to potentially do it on that day would be would be really special i think for the program um so other than that i mean we still got someone i i just get so jazzed up about a10 <laughs> basketball you know what i mean so we've got so many good games so you know let me hear from the two of you. What do you like? I mean, look, Loyola, Chicago, St. Louis. Look, again, they're bottom of the conference this year. But I think they show, like, in that game against Fordham, they are a tough home team. They are not they, – they do not give up easy wins. Yes, they give up a good amount of wins. But they do not make it easy for teams. So I think it will be really interesting seeing how they do in their first A-10 tournament. And especially in the, you know, one of their, one of their final games against St. Louis. Um, other than that, I mean, the floor is yours. I mean, what, what, what are the two of you watching? So I'm going to go on a little bit of UMass tangent. UMass is not playing this weekend. Um, but the past few weeks as a UMass men's basketball fan have been rough. Um, the only upside is Noah had his baby boy a few weeks ago. Um, no timetable for Noah coming back. Matt Cross, MCL spraying against Loyola Chicago when he was going for a shot. Um, hoping for the best recovery for you, Matt. Um, we need you desperately, but right now there's just a whole bunch of if, ands, or buts, and your recovery is more important than you coming and playing in a game and then just making it worse and just tearing it. We don't need that because that recovery is a lot longer than just a spring. And while yes, pain tolerance is a main like is a thing in there. We saw Noah try to come back with his ankle. He couldn't really come back. Um UMass has had their freshmen really step up when they need it. And unfortunately, like we've needed the true freshmen to really step up because we have Keon Thompson start as our starting point guard and TJ Weeks as the only other guard in that lineup. And we have we've been playing a, a really a three man big post. I believe it's been Levesque. Conte, and I am now playing. Oh, R- RJ's also been in there too, but TJ really playing more of the like small forward there in that lineup. Um, UMass, while they were able to piece together probably one of their better wins in conference play against Rhode Island down at the Ryan Center, it's really hard to win down there. Have I not mentioned that before in this um, podcast? Um, basically, just really trying to see if we can piece together like maybe one or two wins left on the season. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but unfortunately without having cross around or Fernandes, it's going to be a little harder for us, especially since we ha- we don't have much. While we do have a bench to go to, we don't have much of the talent left on the bench. I mean, I think really your only like other two players that are really talented coming off the bench are Dominguez and Diggins. Um, basically other than that, those are literally, those are probably your first two off the bench. If you have to pull people off the bench. Um, but I did have the opportunity to actually meet coach Martin on Sunday since he was out supporting UMass women's basketball on Sunday. Thank you for doing that. Coach Martin, your support really is shown along with your event, your um, players going to that game. It definitely shows the support for a woman, especially since they make the time and the effort to go to your games, UMass. Um, but basically, like, Mark, I got to meet him in person finally after him almost being around for a year now. Really nice guy. Um, Ricky was like, go talk to Coach. Go talk to Coach. He's here. I'm like, Ricky is one of our – is the director of operations. He he remembers me from when he was playing at UMass, and I was, like, a small little three-year-old and being a – my first time at a UMass game then um, basically like he, he really was appreciative of everything I do and was surprised. Like as soon as I mentioned, I'm the Michael Bergman of the woman's side for UMass women's basketball. He's like, they deserve the coverage as much as we get the coverage. Like, thank you for doing that. They deserve it. And like, he asked me what I was into and like everything, like he he's really personable and is a really nice person. And honestly, well, yes, he can be scary when he's screaming swears at his players and chasing them down the bench as they sub out because they did the wrong thing. They are able to. Um, he, he's really personable, and he's really a nice guy. 
if you like if you get to know him outside of just watching him and scaring poor Chris Caputo at down at the Smith Center. <laughs> I knew you laughed, Daniel. I knew that. I knew that. I knew I would break you. <laughs> Still my favorite moment of the entire season, I think, especially because GW won that game so handily. <laughs> I, why do you why do you think I mentioned it, Daniel? Because I knew it would give you a laugh and Hey, you give me a nice segue step. to talk about GW here if you want. Yeah, yeah, let's hear okay. it. Let's hear it. GW, so we have an interesting little log jam here. GW and Mason are probably not going to be able to make a double buy here. Um, May I mention UMass isn't either. <laughs> UMass is secured uh, in the I don't know. Fight. UMass might have an outside. If they just nope. win their next 25 games, they might get in. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the almost 20-point loss to Dayton last night, they've secured pillow fight, um, unfortunately, from what Bergman posted last night. Yeah, I do believe but, the pillow fight is pretty locked. Yes. Not entirely, <laughs> but it's no. I, I'm not just talking about for UMass, but it, like, like in general, I feel like we don't know the like the specific matchups, but I feel like we kind of have an idea of who is going to be playing. Like, I feel like the well, bottom Chicago, four. Yeah, well, that goes. GW Mason are pretty much clear at this point. LaSalle is on there. LaSalle plays at GW on Saturday. If LaSalle loses, that puts them at seven and nine. Um, and in a real rough spot, Richmond plays VCU Friday night. They lose, they could be down. So basically, eight down is in a lot of trouble. Seven and above is, is, is in pretty good shape to not have to worry about it. Um, but a lot of really interesting implications too with the GW LaSalle game because, um, and coupled with the Mason Dayton game, because the tiebreaker between GW and Mason, because they split the season series now, is dependent on, you know, as we've been saying all along, you know, the, the best common opponent. And GW beat Dayton. So this game actually matters for George Mason more than, than meets the eye, I think, from that perspective, um, because it could, basically bury Mason behind GW because as of now they have the tiebreaker, but that could change very quickly. Um, But, and on the flip side, if GW loses to LaSalle, then GW gets swept by LaSalle, does not have a tiebreaker. They would be 500, both of them. Um, So a lot at stake there. And amongst two teams that have suddenly trended in the right direction, despite the fact that GW is trying their damnedest to just, kill everyone in Foggy Bottom's blood pressure by having these unnecessary overtime sessions <laughs> in a row. It is... I, I, I was throwing things. I am usually a relative... I know I don't sound like it. I usually am a relatively like even-keeled person when watching basketball, like GW basketball in particular. Like I try to be objective. I try to be like, yeah, you know, that was a legitimate foul against my team. Like I get it. <laughs> I was so livid. And I was, I was very mad online. Just tweet, If you look at my Twitter feed from that game, I was mad online, but like GW to like survive the Bonner game and then to do it all over again on Wednesday night. Oh, thank God they won both. <laughs> all I'm going to say is you, you've never experienced a Western New England basketball game and you probably should be grateful. You've never experienced a Western New England basketball game, more specifically a Western New England home basketball game, because if you sat right next to me, I think you would not be able to hear for the next 24 hours. I don't understand. I don't understand how this one player has dealt with me next to him for like the past like three home games. But after talking to his mom, like she makes complete sense on that. She's probably louder than I am, and he dealt with that growing up. So, <laughs> see, I, I I try to stay pretty even keeled uh, watching like any sport, uh, just because. I mean, I feel like I, I've I've grown up. I mean, I grew up a Mets Jets. Knicks fan, so I feel like if I if Enough I got said. mad at every Enough single said. loss, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the only the only team that really gets me like hopping is a uh, you know I mean I'm I'm passionate about all my teams, but the only team that really gets me like you know what I mean is is the New York Islanders. I have to say, and I mean if I may, I feel like Daniel, you and I don't really feud too much on sports rivalries, but I mean I just. I would like to rub it in your face that the Islanders did beat the Penguins for two times in the last four days. Penguins are ass right took now. Their, oh, took their playoff spot right now in the wild card, but this is a this is an eight. And Pens lost seven two tonight. It's, oh, it's, it's bad. You hate to see it unless you're me. But um, 
No, nah, I'm just kidding. Anybody with the Rangers. But, hey, at least uh, the Capitals are also out of a playoff spot. That's all that Penguins fans care about. That is true. That is true. I can, I can get behind you on that. So talking about GW, the, the the kind of last topic I want to talk about tonight, we've got, we've gone through our slate. We've gone through the women's tournament implications. This is kind of a bit of a fun one. I wish David Korn was here because he's been doing such a great job, both on, you know, just, just GW radio, A10 talk, just talking about this situation. We're getting closer and closer to GW figuring out, I mean, you know, I mean, Closer being a very relative term, we could be you know miles away from it. But they're they're taking action in trying to figure out what their new name will be in replacement of the colonial. So a couple of weeks ago, David shared um, you know an announcement from GW that they've narrowed it down to ten names: the Ambassadors, the Blue Fog, the Catalysts, the Fireworks, the Independents, the Monumentals, the Revolutionaries, the Sentinels, the Squad. And uh, maybe in reference to Paul Pierce, the truth. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Daniel, any of these, like, really catch your eye? Really, really, you know, tug at the heartstrings as a GW fan? So, Revolutionaries, I think, is the general consensus, the only acceptable option here. Yeah. Fireworks sounds like a third grade softball team. Squad... Yeah, you get Katie Perry to perform. Oh, Jesus Christ. Squad is. There's too many layers to unpack in that. It's just. It's stupid. It's awful. It's bad. Truth. There is. the. There are no good things to say about truth, so I'm not going to address it and waste my time on it. Ambassadors <laughs> is very just. Eh. It's like the Ottawa Senators, but worse. Like it's just—it's not a good name. Catalyst. What? No, this is not some economic. No, get that out of here. That's terrible. Independence. It's like, eh. It's 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 fine, but it's not like ah, let's go Independence. Eh. Like no, that's terrible. Like, eh. Monumentals is like, I I actually could I could live with this because GW's talked used it in their like their for a little while they've had like a decade now they used to call it the monumental home court advantage i could see some tie in there i don't want them to go that direction but like i could live with it blue fog i know david's been a big fan of the fog from like day one of this project blue fog is better than fog but i still say that no one outside of the like seven block radius of foggy bottom would ever get why the hell they're the blue fog I kind of so like that for one. Those, to be all of those reasons, revolutionaries is the only acceptable answer. And if it's anything other than that, we will have a revolution. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So we've got we've got GW shortlist, and then we've got Daniel's shorter list, which <laughs> pretty much just seems like the revolutionary. So it'll it'll be interesting. I feel like a lot of people are 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 kind of in agreement with you, but Kaylee yeah. as you know, an an outsider a little bit. Is there, is there any ones that really, really catch your eye? So I actually, as soon as I saw David's tweet, I sent this to my parents and I asked them as well, just because I figured I might as well get their input because I I can't always give the best input. But my parents definitely agree with you, Daniel. Where the heck did truth come from in this? This does not make sense at all. I mean, I can tell um, you where it comes from. It's coming from that folktale of, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. Like, that's a terrible mascot. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it does not make sense. Um, my family def- my family thinks more of the ambassadors. Um, I'm saying more, I'm saying personally more, I see the revolutionaries being the best one. When I think of GW, I think of, like, colonials or revolutionaries. Those are, like, two things I can think of. And I'm just going to point out George Mason, George Washington rivalry is called the revolutionary rivalry. So it makes the most sense to go with the revolutionaries. Um, Cause then you got revolutionaries versus Patriots. It makes more sense. Um, stays with that theme a little bit. Um, I could also see blue fog a little bit just because foggy bottom makes a little more makes sense, but I'm honestly going to have to say my number one pick is going to agree with Daniel with, revolutionaries just because it makes the most sense and yes daniel i see you clapping just because i think i just made your night um but i mean 
it, it just made it makes the most sense out of all of them like coming from my perspective and really not watching much basketball with gw I like the blue fog. I think it's kind of cool. Get out of here. I like, I like, I think it's like a cool force of (laughs) nature. I'm walking in. But anyway, I'll finish it off with this. When in doubt, you could always just go with the Rams. And so I'll, I'll I'll finish, I'll finish the the, tonight's A10 talk pod with, with that sentiment. And uh, until then, hopefully, I, I I think we should get one more uh, podcast in before uh, before the women's tournament because then we can have a really better idea of, of exactly where everyone sits after Saturday. So keep 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 a lookout for that. But until then, I mean, we've still got so much stuff coming in on the men's side. We still got game previews coming in for the women's teams. I mean, keep following all of us on Twitter for what should be another crazy weekend of A ten basketball, an exciting weekend of A ten basketball. So follow myself, KG. Daniel on Twitter. Keep checking out all everything our staff's doing. A10talk.com. Check it every single day, okay, for updates on your favorite 15 teams. And keep listening to the A10 Talk podcast. And until then, we'll see you guys next time.